From the newsrooms of the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age, this is Please Explain. I'm Samantha Selinger-Morris. It's Thursday, February 1st. It was exactly three years ago today that Myanmar's military seized power in a coup d'etat, toppling the democratic government. Since then, the junta has killed and imprisoned its opponents and attacked innocent civilians, all in the name of consolidating its power. It's a devastating state of affairs that has led Myanmar to become an international business pariah. Many Western democracies have placed sanctions on the country, barring companies from investing there. But Australia's efforts at imposing sanctions against Myanmar's military have paled in comparison. Today, business reporter Sumeya Lanby on how and why Australian companies, while not breaching any Australian sanctions, have been accused of propping up Myanmar's brutal military dictatorship. So, Sumeya, to start, can you just tell me, how did you first come across this story? Yeah, so there's an NGO by the name of Justice for Myanmar, and they compile this very comprehensive dossier. It's, you know, more than 150 pages long, actually, of Australian business interests in the country's troubled mining sector. So Australian companies or Myanmar companies that have Australian investors or Australian subsidiaries. Access to corporate records in Myanmar at the moment is obviously restricted given the coup, but using company annual reports, leaked tax filings, documents from junta ministers and other open source materials, Justice for Myanmar was able to make those connections. Democracy activists have long suspected Australian-backed investments were still operating in Myanmar, but this report lays it out for the first time, the scale and the extent of those business interests. Justice for Myanmar says continuing to do business as usual in Myanmar, quote unquote, finances the illegitimate junta and helps to keep a corrupt and destructive mining sector open for business. Okay, now before we get into which companies are actually doing this and just how much money they might be pouring into this military dictatorship, I'd love to step back for a moment just to try to understand what's actually going on in Myanmar. Three years ago today, there was, of course, a coup against the country's democratic leader. So can you tell me a bit about that and what's been going on there since then? Yeah, so Myanmar has a long history with military coups. They've been ruled by the armed forces for many years or over successive decades. And the latest one was, as you say, on the 1st of February 2021. Without warning, in the middle of the night, Myanmar's military made its move. Here an MP catches the moment soldiers arrive at his house. Pre-dawn raids, the first confirmation, it was seizing power. The army, known as the Tatmadaw, overthrew Aung San Suu Kyi's elected government. De facto leader Aung San Suu Kyi, along with the country's president, are among the officials detained. A coup in all but name, as Myanmar's military announces a state of emergency. And since then, the situation has been incredibly dire. Tonight in Myanmar, a violent crackdown. Police using tear gas, stun grenades and water cannons to break up unarmed crowds, then reportedly opening fire. In December, the United Nations published a report on Myanmar's humanitarian needs that painted quite a disturbing picture, actually. And it said that this situation in Myanmar should demand global attention. 
third of the population, so about 18 million people are now estimated to be in humanitarian need. And the UN has actually prioritised 5 million of those for urgent assistance. Since the coup, the junta has launched more than 4,200 aerial shelling and artillery attacks, killed over 45,000 people, arbitrarily detained tens of thousands. And one of the other, I guess, really important things to note is that the World Bank says that the economy is 30% smaller than it would have been without COVID and the coup. So the humanitarian and economic crisis is still profound. Okay, so I'd love to talk now about this dossier that you received from this NGO, Justice for Myanmar. Which Australian companies are actually investing in the country and how much money are we talking about? As I just mentioned earlier, Myanmar has been an, a frequent international business pariah due to its history of sanctions and military rule. So it's meant that the country's world mineral resources, things like coal, gold, copper, you know, including even jades and rubies, for example, had been virtually untapped for decades. And Sang Suu Kyi's government eased restrictions on international permits in 2015. And the Australian government was actually encouraged a lot of Australian businesses to start investing in Myanmar, saying there's a huge untapped opportunity for Australian businesses to come to Myanmar and explore for minerals, essentially. Many companies have exited Myanmar, including ASX-listed Woodside, a major oil and energy giant. But there are currently 10 Australian-linked businesses still operating there, according to Justice for Myanmar. Okay, so tell me about this money that's going from these Australian companies, these 10 companies that have enlisted. Where could this money be funneled? I mean, is the money being poured into the mining sector that's actually likely to be financing the junta? Anti-curry activists essentially say it's basically impossible to have responsible business conduct in Myanmar. And mining is particularly egregious for helping fund the junta. The military has long exploited the mining sector, which I think has just been exacerbated following the 2021 coup. It now heavily relies on the sector to pump up its coffers, particularly as international sanctions buy and these armed forces are unable to, you know, make transactions in foreign currencies. So it's impossible to know exactly how much Australian money is being poured into Myanmar and the military's coffers through mining. But before the coup in the 2018 financial year, for example, mining contributed about $650 million in revenue to the government. Mineral exports have obviously since decreased following the 2021 coup. But if we were to have a look at one of the examples identified in the report, Panost, they're an Australian company. They have a 90% stake in a company called Wintho, which is a mining company operating in Myanmar. In the six months to March 2022, Wintho paid about $220,000 in annual permit costs to the junta. And the NGO was able to uncover this using leaked tax filings. Okay, so you've mentioned there that there are 10 listed Australian companies that are investing in Myanmar. It seems like there's a lot of investment there. How does it compare to other countries' investments in the country? Yeah, and I think that one of the other, I guess, really important things to note is that by September 2020, Australia was essentially world-leading when it came to investment in mining in Myanmar. 
39% of international permits that Myanmar had issued had gone to Australia. This is surpassing China, Thailand, Japan, Vietnam and the United Kingdom. Sort of just, I guess, highlighting how intimately linked Australia was with Myanmar's mining sector. We'll be right back. So, Sumeya, I'd like to turn now to Australia and how it compares, I guess, to other Western democracies in terms of sanctions on Myanmar, because you, of course, have discovered that Australia was not long ago the world leader in investing in the mining sector in Myanmar. So has the government here imposed any sanctions against the military junta and its conglomerates? And how does it compare to other Western democracies in terms of what sanctions they've imposed? Yeah, and I think the really important thing to note here is the scale of investment has shocked and alarmed many of the people that I'd spoken to as part of my reporting on this dossier. And particularly given, you know, Myanmar is in our backyard. It is part of the Indo-Pacific region, which obviously the Australian government is focusing on. But Australia's stance on what is going on in Myanmar has been far more mooted compared to some of our international allies. And that's really disappointed a lot of Myanmar watchers. You know, Australia was pretty slow on the sanctions. And since then, we've only sanctioned 16 people and two economic entities linked to the junta. When you have a look at some of our closest international allies, the US, the UK, the EU, Canada, they have a total of 390 sanctions. And they've also sanctioned entities that are collecting mining revenue for the junta that the Australian government hasn't. We should add the caveat that some people say there is little evidence sanctions work in Myanmar, just given their isolationist history and just given the successive military coups over the years. But there are a lack of alternative options for the international community to influence outcomes in that country. And countries like the US, like the UK, even including Australia, are hoping that by imposing sanctions, they can ultimately deprive the regime of revenue from other sources in the hopes that it will gradually weaken the military. NGOs are pleading with the Australian government to follow the lead of its international allies and impose far more sanctions than what they already have. So why is Australia lagging behind on this and what has our government said? I think that's sort of a bit hard to know. I've gone to the federal government twice on sanctions in Myanmar and both times that they said that Australia does not speculate on potential sanctions. They wouldn't disclose whether or not they were planning on imposing further sanctions, including expanding their sanctions list. A spokesperson for the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade said that all Australian businesses operating internationally have a responsibility to respect human rights in their operations and supply chains. And they also noted that that Australia no longer promotes Myanmar as a market for new entrants. Okay, so businesses are not really being held to account by the Australian government, but surely businesses themselves have codes of conduct that prevent them from investing in places like these, don't they? I mean, I don't imagine shareholders would be particularly happy about hearing about a situation like this. So what have the companies themselves said when you've asked them about this? We have to be very clear that these companies aren't doing anything illegal. They're not breaching sanctions. And I think that's the problem. If the government had cracked down on more military generals, if the government had cracked down on more entities, for example, a lot of these NGOs are arguing that maybe some of these companies wouldn't have been allowed to operate. 
And this was the purpose of the report by Justice for Myanmar, essentially an alarm bell for the Australian government to say, hey, there is continued Australian investment in this country and a very troubled sector that could potentially funnel money to the illegitimate junta and you need to crack down. Many of the companies said they're in the process of withdrawing, that they want to do it responsibly. One of the companies mentioned in the report, for example, said, you know, well, they weren't literally digging up any of the minerals out of the ground. They had only provided an environmental effects statement for a mining company. So this has been one of the ways they've, I guess, justified to the NGO as to why they're still operating in Myanmar's mining sector. Okay, and I imagine withdrawing funds from a country or withdrawing your business from the country, doing it quickly might be actually quite hard. So is it perhaps the case that the time frame these companies are saying they need is legitimate because, you know, this isn't an easy thing to do, but perhaps they're just taking longer than is necessary? Yeah, and many of the companies would argue that very thing, you know, that they have a responsibility to their Myanmar employees, for example, who have nothing to do with the junta and their earning and income. One of the other companies named in the report was Panost, and they noted a few years ago that they were in the process of withdrawing from Myanmar. They had their statutory obligations for financial payments to maintain their licenses, for example, or their tax obligations. So even though they have been in the process of divesting from Myanmar, some of these companies also recognise that they have those obligations. And I think one of the unfortunate things that a lot of the larger companies like Woodside and Chevron, they withdrew relatively immediately because of reputational risk. Smaller companies don't have the same level of reputational risk, so they're able to operate under the radar. And perhaps more importantly for them, they don't have the resources to immediately withdraw. When Woodside withdrew from Myanmar in 2022, it essentially cost the company's profits $195 million on top of the $100 million it had spent on exploration. So it is very expensive. Thank you so much, Samaya, for your time. Thank you for having me. Today's episode of Please Explain was produced by Tammy Mills. Our executive producer is Ruby Schwartz. Please Explain is a production of The Age and the City Morning Herald. If you enjoy the show and want more of our journalism, subscribe to our newspapers today. It's the best way to support what we do. Search The Age or smh.com.au forward slash subscribe. I'm Samantha Selinger-Morris. This is Please Explain. Thanks for listening.